I invite you to turn with me now to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20, verses 1 through 26. Luke, chapter 20, verses 1 through 26. It's on page 1,124 in the Pew Bibles. Let us hear the reading of God's holy word. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority. And he answered them, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet another, yet a third, This one also they wounded and cast out. Uh, Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, surely not. Uh, But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. 
Here ends the reading of God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, as Scripture says, that it is powerful and that it is able to correct us and train us. We pray that you would bless us in this hour, that it would do that very thing. Open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand, open our hearts to truly receive of the authoritative Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and comfort in us in all that that means. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Who says so? Who says so? It is a very important question in life. It's the more colloquial uh, form of by what authority, which we find here uh, in this passage. I've asked you and put before you before the, the little story that you all know and most of you have probably seen. You children can imagine it when uh, your parents say to you, go and tell your sibling to come to dinner. And you go and you yell up the stairs, uh, it's time to come to dinner, come downstairs. Uh, you are very likely to have your brother or sister say to you, who says so? And you go back to your parents and your dad says, you go and tell them, dad says so. And you go back and says. Dad says so. And they say, oh, Dad says so. Why didn't you say so? That makes all the difference. By what authority? It's a very important question here as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Uh, Something that we've slowed down for a few weeks to look at. He has entered into Jerusalem as our prophet, priest, and king. He entered in as our king. Uh, humble and mounted on a donkey, as Zechariah the prophet foretold. He entered in as our priest, uh, cleansing the temple, uh, just as Malachi foretold. Who can endure the day of his coming? He entered in as our prophet, uh, weeping over Jerusalem and uh, declaring that oracle of judgment, just as Jeremiah the prophet uh, did before him. As well, He is entering in as our prophet, priest, and king as nothing less than our authoritative Messiah from God. And he's not hiding that authority as he comes into Jerusalem. He is very much wearing it on his sleeve, you could say. Anyone who is watching and listening very closely at all is bound to ask this question that they do here. By what authority are you doing all of this? And that is where we begin uh, this morning with that all-important question. Who says so? Or by what authority? It's important to remember when you think about authority uh, that all authority except for God's authority is derived. It comes from God. He is the ultimate authoritative one. And anyone else who has authority has it because God gave it to them. You can think of it again as children. You can ask yourself, why do my parents have authority over me? Why do I have to do what they say? It's because God gave them that authority. When you obey your parents, you obey God. God's given authority to the church's officers as well. He's given authority to the civil magistrate here uh, in our land as well. Even in the Old Testament, God gave authority to many different sorts of people, to the prophets, the priests, and the kings in particular. Uh, They uh, were given authority from God. But you see, if any one of those prophets or priests or kings 
came to Israel and said what Christ says about himself and his authority, they would have been stoned to death. What does Christ say? He says, I and the Father are one. He says, before before Abraham was, I am. I am Yahweh himself. Uh, Jesus possesses authority, he claims, because of who he is. He is the pre-existent one who has authority because he is God. Uh, It's a lot like the authority of the Bible. When you come to the scriptures, the Westminster Confession of Faith says in chapter 1 that the word of God is to be received not because any man says so, but because it is the word of God. Uh, No one can give authority to God. No one can authorize God's authority. It's his. He is God. As it is with the word written in your Bible, so also it is with the word incarnate, which is come in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ's authority is unimpeachable. No one can question it. It is not up for debate. You cannot vote uh, Christ out of his authority as the Messiah of God. And so, uh, that's the authority that we find Jesus teaching with. When he comes into the temple here, uh, we're, we're told he's teaching with that authority. And you need to step back for a moment and just notice the glory of what is taking on here as Jesus teaches in the temple. Just for a few days in history, back there 2,000 years ago, uh, the true temple of God, the true temple of God's dwelling and His forgiveness, which is found in Jesus Christ. He is, he is the true temple of God. That true temple has come to the old temple. And there in that old and fading temple is preaching the good news of the gospel. Uh, the shadows are fleeing away as the substance of the Lord Jesus arrives before their very eyes. Just for a few days, all of the types and the shadows pass away. And that to which they pointed arrives. The Lord Jesus Christ, the true temple of God. The glory of God descends upon his temple in the face of Jesus Christ. And they behold his glory. A glory as of the only begotten Son of God. It's an amazing moment uh, in history. You notice as well here that Jesus is preaching the gospel of the kingdom as he comes to the temple. It's about him. The kingdom is all about Jesus. Uh, He is the prophet, priest, and king. Uh, From beginning to end, the kingdom is about Christ. He is the good news that is the climactic message of the kingdom. And as Jesus enters into the temple here, uh, he is actually fulfilling the temple's purpose by preaching this good news. Preaching it even in the court of the Gentiles to the nations. Uh, As a light to the nations, he's fulfilling the purpose of the temple. Preaching that good news uh, with authority. A light to the Gentiles. Now remember, uh, we have already seen Jesus' authority several times in the Gospel of Luke. You remember back in Luke chapter 4, verse 32, we're told they were astonished at Christ's teaching, for his word possessed authority. It possessed it. 
It, it was inherent to his word. It was authoritative. They could just tell. In verse 36 of that same chapter, we read, the people expl- exclaim, what is this word? Uh, for with authority and power he commands unclean spirits, and they come out. It, it happens. What he says becomes. It's like the word of God. It always gets what it wants. Or in Luke chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus himself said, uh, So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, take up your mat, and go home. And it was so immediately. His word is authoritative. It gets what it wants. It's an unimpeachable authority. But the temple authorities don't buy it. They won't have any of it. In fact, they demand here in verse 2, tell us by what authority uh, you do these things. Now, as they ask that question, there's a whole lot that is behind that question, actually. Uh, We might not pick up on on it all immediately, uh, but that's what I've been trying to draw out for us the last three weeks. As you see your prophet, priest, and king approach Jerusalem and his temple... What we're seeing here is that Christ is doing some outspoken things as prophet, priest, and king. What they're they're doing as they come and challenge his credentials is they're really asking, who do you think you are? Do you really think that you are the prophet, priest, and king we've been awaiting? Why did you allow your followers, when you entered into Jerusalem, to praise you with messianic psalms as the son of David? Why did you come into the temple? And where do you get off cleansing the temple as though it is yours to do so? This is our temple. We are the authorities here. And why are you preaching in our temple to begin with? We are the ones who oversee uh, this temple. Their question, by what authority, is really more of a statement. Don't you hate questions like that? That are really just trying to say something? That's exactly what this question is like here. By what authority is really saying, we reject your supposed authority. Where does it come from? Well, Jesus foils their question, as you see here. We read earlier. He turns their question on them, and effectively he he, he says to them, I have a question for you. You tell me about authority first. Tell me, what was the authority of John's baptism? Of John the Baptist. Was it from heaven or was it from man? It's a wonderful question, an ingenious question, really, because uh, they're foiled. Because back, you remember in Luke chapter 7, uh, we read there, Luke said, All of the people declared God just, having been baptized by the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized. Uh, by John. Well, that's what Luke said back in chapter 7. And that's why they're in a tight spot here. They say to themselves, if we say it was from heaven, this baptism of John, then he's going to say, then why didn't you receive it? Why didn't you uh, repent of your sins and prepare for my coming? But if we say it was from earth, these people are going to stone us because they were convinced that John was a prophet preparing the way uh, for the Messiah. So what do they say? They say, <laughs> We don't know. It's the classic uh, bureaucratic T 
taking of the fifth. We've become all too accustomed of, uh, to it. It is a highly political and unsatisfying answer. Why don't you know? You're the teachers of Israel, and you don't know? You have failed, Jesus says, as he takes the offensive. Uh, You are in no position to judge my authority. You could not even judge the authority of John's baptism. You have misjudged the authority of my forerunner. How can you possibly judge my authority either? So I will not tell you where it is from, Jesus says. That is his answer uh, to by uh, what authority. That's what we see first of all. But if that's not bad enough, if he doesn't have them in a, in a tight spot enough already, Jesus continues on the offensive here in our second scene in verses 9 through 18, in which he basically says, there are consequences for rejecting. That's our second point. There are consequences for rejecting. And he shows this uh, with this parable of the wicked tenants, the background of which we saw earlier in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Uh, The story is something of an allegory, this parable. Um, And it goes like this. A man who is God the Father uh, planted a vineyard, and for a long time he let it out to tenants. That is Israel, Israel and her leaders. And he did so so that he might one day gain fruit from those tenants and that land. Uh, Basically, that is the story of the whole Old Testament in sum. God uh, let out a vineyard to tenants Israel and he wanted to get a return from it. Uh, But then problems start to arise. He sends a servant to them to get a return. And that's a prophet. Uh, But they beat him. And send him away. Then he sends another servant, another prophet. They beat him and send him away. Then he sends another prophet. They beat him and send him away as well. You know there are a lot of prophets in the Old Testament. They were all scornfully treated by God's people and sent away. And so he sends one last. He says, I'll send my beloved son, who of course is Christ. The Son of God telling this parable. He sends them hoping that they will uh, honor and receive His authority. And this is, you see, the love of God for us. Because you see, He did not, uh, He did not, He was not um, unable to discern what was going to happen. He knew full well uh, that they would reject Him. They would reject and kill his only begotten son. This is the love of God for us. Uh, The love and authority of God for us that knowing we would reject his only begotten son, he sent him to us so that by our rejection of him, Christ our Savior might gain for us salvation and give that salvation to us. Not sparing us his son. He has given to us all things. You see, Christ is the final prophet and son who has come. And God has said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. That's what he said at Christ's baptism. Listen to him like you failed to listen to all the prophets who came before him. Listen to my son. But they rejected him. 
He was teaching daily, and the leaders we heard last week were seeking to destroy him. And they did kill him, thinking that by killing him they would gain an inheritance. As uh, Stephen would later rail against him, that that great deacon and preacher in the early church, in Acts 7, he he preached against Israel's leaders and said, You stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Just as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, the one whom you have killed and now betrayed and murdered. History is repeating itself, in other words. This is, what we are seeing here is the climactic rejection of God's authority in Israel's history, even of God's own beloved Son. And what Jesus says to Israel and her leaders is, far from judging my authority, uh, you have rejected God's authority. And just like Israel before you, you have rejected the authority of God and Jesus says, here's the real question for you to ponder. You think you have all the questions? Here's the real question. What will happen to those who reject God's authority like this? You think you know the scriptures? Read Isaiah chapter 5, he's saying. You think that in those scriptures you will find eternal life, but it is those scriptures that speak of me, the rejected one. It's those scriptures that speak of you, the ones who reject me. And what will happen to those people who reject Jesus says? He will come and destroy them and give that vineyard to others. And now all of a sudden the temple authorities are on the defensive. What do they say? They cry out, by no means. That cannot be. Heaven forbid. They understand full well what Jesus is saying to them. And Jesus goes on the offensive one more time, driving it home. He looked directly at them, Scripture says. Can you imagine how blood-chilling that would be? And he said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. Can you imagine being there that day and hearing Jesus speak those words? Whose authority is really in question here? Who will open their mouth in the presence of the authoritative God and Savior Jesus Christ? Now that's what's going on here. Jesus is shutting their mouths. How is he doing so? Jesus here quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes, in particular, three Old Testament passages, and he links them all together. And all of those passages are about a stone. The first one, he's saying, they're all about me. They are from Psalm 118, which we read earlier, from Isaiah chapter 8, and from Daniel chapter 2. He's saying, I am the rejected stone, of which we read in Psalm 118. I am the stumbling stone that Isaiah chapter 8 speaks of, that many people will stumble upon it. And I am the crushing stone as well of Daniel chapter 2 that Daniel speaks of when he's interpreting one of the king's dreams. He's saying, I am the stone of the Old Testament. You are those who reject me, and you are those who will be crushed because you reject me. 
You say, by no means. I say, by all means. This is the message of the scriptures. It is what they say. It is what they point to in me. These tenants will be destroyed. Uh, The vineyard will be given to others. And who will it be given to? It will be given to those who receive the authoritative word of the Son of God. This is the good news of the gospel. The vineyard will not be destroyed, but the tenants will. The vineyard will be revived and and restored in Christ. You know how that is. Christ is the one who says in John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. He has grafted many into him. He says, abide in me. This vineyard comes about in Christ where others have been cut off. You, by faith, have been grafted in. And why? Because we're better uh, than all of the leaders of Israel? Uh, Because we're more worthy of God's salvation? Because we did not reject God? No, of course not. But because God, in all of his love and grace, uh, looked upon us, we too rejected him. We too needed him to come to us, as Christ does, to be rejected for us in our place. We need this one, this Lord Jesus Christ, who takes our rejection of him as the stone that the builders rejected in our place. And he takes our rejection of him and he turns it into his acceptance of us. That's the miraculous way that the gospel works. Even while we were his enemies, Christ loved us and he died for us. The great preacher, uh, the Baptist preacher Spurgeon said, when we reject, reject him, he answers us with tears. When we wound him, he bleeds out cleansing blood. If you kill him, he dies to redeem you. If you bury him, he rises again to bring resurrection life. That is the love and the authority of the Son of God. He comes to be rejected. He enters into the vineyard of God's ownership And he does so knowing that he will be cast out and he will be killed. He does so in order to save us. He does so in order to give us the inheritance that we might render to him everything in faith. And that is the last thing that we see here in this passage this morning. We see that there are consequences uh, for rejecting as Israel did. But we see that there is also comfort in rendering uh, to Christ all that he is due as God's authoritative Messiah. That's the last thing we see. There is comfort in rendering to God. How do we see that? Well, notice, first of all, uh, that the temple authorities see what Jesus is doing. They understand full well what he is saying. In fact, verse 19 says, They sought to lay hands on him that very hour, for they perceived he told this parable against them. You have to sort of chuckle at that. They perceived they told it against him. How perceptive. Of course it was against them. So they sought to kill him and lay hands on him that very hour. The problem is, this is not the very hour that God has ordained. 
It is not the hour of God's choosing. The hour of God's choosing is coming very soon. Christ himself will say in the Garden of Gethsemane when they gather to arrest him, and now is the hour of the power of darkness. It has not yet come, but for now uh, you see the people are in the way of the Pharisees doing what they want to do. So they try to go on the offensive in a more subtle way. Uh, They send these disingenuous spies to ask of Jesus, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? They flatter him and then they offer to him a very sly question. They're trying to catch him. They're trying to do one of two things, either to upset the people's devotion to him by what he answers, or to upset the Roman authorities so that those authorities will come and arrest Jesus so they don't have to. Is it lawful, they say, uh, to give taxes to this earthly authority? And of course, Jesus again, he sees through their question and he foils it all over again in a very profound moment. In his ministry, I think, he says, show to me a denarius. Show to me a coin. Whose likeness and inscription does it have upon it? And they answer, Caesar's. And he says, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. Now you think about what he says and you try to figure out the logic of what he is saying there. And the logic is amazing. It is Uh, It is an amazing statement. What should we render to Caesar? The denarius. The coin. And why? Because his image is upon it. It's his. He stamped it as his own. It belongs to him. Give to him uh, what belongs to him. You see, a Christ's kingdom is not an anarchist kingdom. Uh, He has not come to destroy all of the other temporal authorities in this world. At least not yet. He will do that at the end of the age, but for now, uh, these temporal kingdoms remain. And Caesar's authority, it's been given by God. It was to be respected. Paul later expands on that in Romans chapter 13. Jesus himself uh, said uh, when he was before Pontius Pilate in John chapter 19, he says, You would not even have any authority over me if it was not given you from above. They have authority. So render to Caesar. His image is on the coin, uh, so give it to him. But of course that begs the question, what should we render to God? What should we render uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, His authoritative Messiah? And what Jesus is implicitly saying is that we render to God everything. And why? Because you bear his image. It is stamped upon you. You have been made in the likeness of God. His image is fixed on you. He owns you. He's made you. He's come in Christ to redeem you from your sin. He has rightful ownership over you. And you must submit uh, to his authority as it's revealed in Christ. It's... It's such an astounding answer, in fact, that that we're told they were not able in the people's presence to catch him. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. An awful hush came across the crowd 
at his answer. They're, they're like Job uh, before the Almighty God. Uh, you remember when Job was upset at God and he questions the Lord, questions what the Lord has done in his life, and then he trembles at the Lord as the Lord turns on him and questions him and says, Who are you to question me? It's the same thing here. These marveling mouths are stopped uh, before the Son of God. It's an authority that you cannot help but see in Him. You cannot help but marvel at it. As much as everyone in the course of history, and we ourselves included, have sought to suppress uh, that authority, have sought to suppress God's ownership of us, Sought to suppress it even as we see it in his very image stamped upon us. Suppressing Christ's authority over us. As much as we seek uh, to rule our own lives in our own autonomous way. We cannot escape this truth. That God and our, our God and Savior Jesus Christ owns us. And all will be silenced before him. Everyone will be silenced Before the authoritative Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Silenced either in joy. Or in utter terror. For all will either reject him. Or will render to him. What is due. As authoritative Messiah. By what authority. Brothers and sisters. You need to see as Christ. Uh, here comes into Jerusalem as your authoritative Messiah, as he comes as authoritative prophet, priest, and king with power and authority to forgive sins, with power and authority to cleanse the unclean, with power and authority to make righteous the guilty. You need to look on him and you need to marvel at his authority. And then you need to see that his authority, it will be either for you Or against you. The bad news is that his authority is absolute. If it is against you, you are finished. It is over. But the good news is also that his authority is absolute. If it is for you, nothing can overcome it. Anything that it seeks to oppose you cannot succeed against you. Because you see, you're part of the new vineyard. You are one branch who has been grafted into the Lord Jesus Christ and joined to Him. This whole world can rage against you. This whole world and all of the darkness of this world can mount up against you. Just as it's beginning to do here against the Lord Jesus Christ. Mounting up and surrounding and raging against the Lord's anointed As he approaches that dark hill of Golgotha. It can mount around you as well. But that which rages cannot succeed. The forces of evil. The cursed bodies that we endure. Our own sin. And even the devil himself. None of it can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus Because Christ has borne that separation. Christ has borne that rejection. Christ has been uh, been overcome by it. And if you are trusting in Christ, then you are more than a conqueror in Him. He has died 
More than that, uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he has risen from the dead. And to him, all authority has been given. As the one who has died and risen, he has received all authority in heaven and earth. All of it. It is an unimpeachable authority that Christ has been given for you. As you are found in him by faith. Because he has died and risen from the dead. And been given all authority. And that means, brothers and sisters, he gets what he wants. He gets you. Because he's given everything it takes to purchase you. As the authoritative Messiah of God. Christ has the saving authority. And so let us find comfort and joy in worshiping him in all of life as we render everything back to him. Our authoritative Savior Jesus Christ who has gotten what he wants. He has purchased you and me. Let's close together in prayer.